quickly, if you weren't here when I got up to welcome, we are continuing uh, today of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, this will be our last um, lesson on it. We've been, we've been walking through it for several weeks now. And um, the Sermon on the Mount describes the kingdom of God and, and the picture that Jesus paints for us, the world that we are to live in. We get here to the end, and we get some of Jesus' most difficult words. I will tell you that today, um, this could be considered what, what we call a U-Haul sermon. That um, we might have to have a U-Haul ready after we preach this sermon. And as funny as that might or might not be... Um, as, as I told Clark, that's okay, because if we can't deal with truth that Jesus presents to us, um, I, I'm not sure uh, really what we're doing. And so if you would listen to the words, go ahead and, and, and go through the slides as we read the text. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate... And broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They'll come to you in sheep's clothing. But inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you'll recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, and a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. A bad tree cannot bear good fruit. And every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down, and it is thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit... You'll recognize them. And not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and in your name? Didn't we drive out demons and in your name? Didn't we perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers, or you lawless ones. Those are tough words. And I believe it is Jesus' way of shocking us into a great truth that if we don't pay attention and we don't put this into practice, it leads to a place we don't want to be, individually or as a church. Let me say this. I love what I do. I love to be able to stand here each week and proclaim God's message. I love God's family. But what I really love is witnessing God's people overcome, develop, grow, and minister to others. Let me say this. The Heartland Church of Christ, I believe, has unlimited potential to grow to reach all segments of our population and to reach our God-given potential. I believe that with all my heart. 
But in order to grow or to get from where you are now to where you want to be, that has two requirements. Number one, to define and visualize where you want to be. Where is it you want to go? And there has to be details. But number two is this. We must make an honest assessment of, of where we are now and why we got there or how we got there. It's called dealing with the truth. Because we never grow until we deal with the truth of who we are now. Which is what Jesus was saying. That means we've got to get to work. So here's a natural law. And by the way, every, I'm, everything that I'm saying is right here in front of me today. I'm not going to go off on a tangent. Here's a natural law that works 100% of the time. We are perfectly positioned to, rece- to receive the results we are experiencing by the structure and the culture that has been developed. To change the results requires change to the structure. So Jesus spoke life-giving words in this Sermon on the Mount. He offers the greatest words of wisdom on how to attain a life of love, of caring, purpose, peace, forgiveness, and growth. These words in that life are our greatest need and desire. But again, it means working on myself. Growth is intentional. It is persistent. And it requires humility. So here's what he said. Go ahead and go to the next slide. I don't know if all five of them pop up or one at a time. That's good. This is what Jesus said. This road is narrow. Which means not many people are willing to travel down it. The majority will say, no thank you. Jesus has been speaking about the kingdom of God for the duration of this sermon. And I believe it would be proper to keep that, keep these verses in their context as we interpret it. I believe Jesus is talking about the narrow road to the kingdom of heaven. I don't believe that Jesus here is necessarily talking about salvation, eternity, or heaven. He's describing the path towards spiritual maturity in the kingdom of God. And according to Jesus, most people would rather not put in the effort to squeeze onto the narrow road. We understand this from life experience. Life gives us multiple examples, right? Want to play the guitar? The road is narrow because your fingers will hurt. Want to be a heart surgeon? The road is quite narrow. You have a desire to be healthy and in good shape? (laughs) The road becomes a cattle trail. It becomes very small. Life teaches us that though all have desires, most are not willing to put in the disciplined effort to achieve it. The only road that will lead to our destination is the narrow one. Want to love others? Find your purpose? You want to live without anxiety? Google says take the narrow road. But understand that there will be tolls to pay. Number two, Jesus says this. False prophets. 
The road's narrow, but understand this too. False prophets are lurking. They look harmless like sheep, but are in fact wolves that are destructive to you. Prophets were known for their message that they proclaimed. And these prophets are no different. In this context, their purpose is to distract us from going down the narrow road. Because they themselves will not travel the narrow road. They attempt to keep others from accomplishing what is most important. Don't fall for the appearances or the titles. Don't succumb to their ability to quote proof text from Ezekiel to make their point. Jesus said, take a look at them and examine their fruit. Their fruit are their results in life. Take inventory of how they live. Look behind them to see if there are healthy people, healthy family members, business partners following their lead, or whether or not they've left a trail of dead bodies in their wake, walking over them to get where they want to go. See, false prophets love to major in the minors. They love to criticize. And they maneuver in the dark. And they're lurking. And you'll discover them by the message and by their lifestyle. Jesus goes on and gets even tougher. Words are not enough. Saying, singing, praying, Lord, Lord, will not suffice. Singing amazing grace in the assembly or shouting amen during the sermon or mouthing, bless this food to the nourishment of our bodies, or even saying, guide, guard, and direct us. Or even listening to contemporary Christian radio. None of that will suffice. If my life is encumbered by anxiety, fear, anger, lust, it's not enough. It's actually an illusion that does not produce the life in the kingdom of God for myself or for others. And Jesus continues. Where he says, doing is not enough. Not only are words not enough, but doing is not enough. Church, religious activity is of no value to Jesus or the kingdom of God. Church attendance doesn't count. Eating crackers and drinking grape juice each week, that'll just give you bad breath. Cleaning up after fellowship meals, so what? Matter of fact, attending ladies ladies class, coming on Wednesday night, taking uh, food to those in need, leading prayers, teaching children, doing marriage seminars, holiday outreaches to family in need, back snacks, traveling to El Salvador, and even preaching from the pulpit each week doesn't prove anything to Jesus. Because see, everyone can have ulterior motives. Psalm 51 says this, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Proverbs 21, verse 3, To do righteousness and justice 
is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Your words aren't enough. My words aren't enough. My doing isn't enough. It doesn't impress Jesus. I'm going to come back to number five at the end. Here's the problem. Hold on to your pews. Here we go. Here's the problem. Our decade-old structures and traditions and habits and worship orders can become a hindrance to hearing and seeing and obeying Jesus. Church tradition becomes the lens through which we interpret the words of Jesus instead of allowing Jesus to speak to our traditions. Thus, traditions become sacred. They become our unwritten text that trumps Scripture. For example, the Bible clearly says, greet one another with a holy kiss. We say, no, no, no. We don't do that around here. Translation, it's not in our church tradition or structure or culture. And so what develops over time is that we learn to listen and watch for clues during the assembly, these catchphrases, doctrinal leanings when preaching from a particular text, trying to figure out if it fits within the system. Did he say anything that's outside the system? Is he pushing us in a direction that we've never gone before? Thankfully, about 25 years ago, Rick Warren came to our rescue in the evangelical movement with purpose-driven church, purpose-driven life, purpose-driven everything, and we all kind of grabbed onto that. Because we could sense that our traditions and our church structures were hindering us, and they were slowly disconnecting us from the culture around, so we began to add layers of up-to-date programming and methodology, stacking the new on top of the old, pouring new wine into old wineskins, like pouring syrup over dry pancakes. It got very sticky and threatened to burst. I have conversations with ministers each month in different places around the country. And this is the issue that is front and center, that is a problem with most churches today. What do we do with this structure we're trying to function within? Furthermore, then, our contemporary fixes like projectors and videos and donuts and praise team designed to propel us forward into a glorious new age. Attracted, it did attract new people who resonated with that, but it also alienated others who were concerned with the striking differences in their childhood worship experiences. Sunday morning became the pinnacle of the Christian experience with many debates, committee meetings, arguments, church splits over the style of worship. Here's the problem with all of this. Worship style does not ensure the development of spiritual maturity. There's no correlation between the style and the development of maturity. KJV Bibles, VBS, projecting song, nor clapping in worship have little of any relationship at all to do with spiritual growth. But man, we got caught up in it. 
I did too. I'm guilty. So church, here's what I say to you. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And I want to approach it this way. I want to apologize to you this morning. I want to apologize for people in my profession who have preached and taught that becoming a disciple of Jesus and living in the kingdom of God was easy. That it really didn't take any effort. The reason we did that is because we're human and we love to be loved. But it was to your detriment that we tried to make it easy. Because we didn't want to have to go get a U-Haul. I want to apologize to you this morning for men who focused the majority of their ministry emphatically declaring to you who was lost, but not taking the time to impress upon us the certainty of our own salvation by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I want to apologize to you for that. I want to apologize for sermons and church groupthink that led you to believe that the pinnacle of Christian living was acknowledging certain core doctrines by being able to go, yes, I believe that. Salvation by being right. Furthermore, I want to apologize for those of us who communicated that salvation was over there, heaven, to the exclusion of life here. Because it left us wondering, what do I do with my life here? I want to apologize for church leaders who by their silence communicated to you that the American culture, the political, the national, the social, social media, family values, the American rugged individualism, right? That's what I mean by this. By their silence communicated to you that the American culture is the lens through which we view Christian practice. Instead of declaring from our pulpits that Jesus is the one who dictates how we view culture, faith, and church life. You should have been doing that. I want to apologize to you for preachers who taught that as long as we had the five acts of worship done properly, that you could then adopt a take it or leave it to all other aspects of Christian community. That as long as we did not combine two acts of worship at the same time, and if, as long as everything was done decently and in order, there was no need to go out of my way to meet other people, to sign up, to serve, or to practice hospitality. Just make sure you have everything right and go on your way. Let me apologize, because I've been a part of it, for creating church traditions and structures that believed that it was okay, sometimes even God-honoring, to quit and walk away. If we didn't agree with church life or worship, it was okay to pack our toys in our little red wagon and hit the road to another place in search of the perfect church with the perfect elders and the perfect minister. Perfect, by the way, is a, is a code word for churches who do things my way according to my traditional experience. And you know what? That has caused great harm to the body of Christ. I want to apologize for falling into the trap of believing that superficial changes to programs and ministry and worship and preaching 
would attract lost people and or visitors. Those changes do attract, but they attract people who are superficial. Superficial changes bring superficial people. Consumer-driven churches attract consumer-driven people. Here's the problem, though. If you change the change, those people tend to disappear. Let me apologize for churches that did not keep the challenging yet life-given teachings of Jesus in the forefront of our assemblies. For churches that indirectly taught that if we could stir the baptismal waters periodically, if we had warm bodies in the pew on Sunday morning, and if those people put money in the tray as it was passed by, then all is well. Because of the fear of losing members and money, we did not command that we love each other regardless of our differences. And that's been harmful. Let me apologize for churches who have settled for the idea that it is okay for 20% of the congregation to do 80% of the work and 80% of the giving without confronting and setting the expectation that Jesus set, which is a life of discipleship and ministry. Because it's not okay in the kingdom of God. And finally, let me apologize because I have a, a tendency to forget that what people need most is not brick and mortar and committee meetings or even basket weaving. What people need most is love and forgiveness and hope and grace and purpose. Ultimately, what people need most is Jesus. May all that we do be in response to Him. Mark. You need a microphone. Okay. Ouch. Um, thank you, Danny. Uh, you know, uh, many of you know that uh, I got to participate with the search committee in bringing Danny uh, here. Um, I'm not regretting that now. Yeah. Um, and I think for many of us on the search committee, we felt like um, that there was uh, one light that was shining in the candidate um, that is Danny. And that God was had a, a very intentional path for for Danny to come here and to be uh, our voice um, his voice. And um, I have uh, been affirmed by that uh, this fall. Um, but this sermon hurts. You picked on the donuts. <laughs> My wife and I bring the donuts. <laughs> it hurts. You know, when uh, and, and, and Dan and I had breakfast yesterday and we talked about the scripture a little bit. And, um, you know, growing up in the church, growing up in this church, uh, when I think about the narrow road, when we think about the narrow road as, a, as the kingdom of God. I have 
uh, I fall back on this teaching that the narrow road is a is a is a is a way of what you do and what you avoid. And I think what Danny has voiced today through Jesus's words is that the the narrow road is not what you do or even what you say. It is who you are. And whose you are and what is this relationship with God? And that all of this, I think, uh, got uh, poked holes with that, that all of this is meaningless unless I am God. And that everything I do is, is for him and about him and trying to lead me into a closer relationship with him. And I believe that that's what any I heard today from you, that Jesus is saying that um, that we're not there yet. As a as a body of believers, uh, we're not there yet, that there is a narrower road that we need to haul down. And it's and it's about making sure that we are willing to. Go down that road. And, and I, um, I'm pricked today, and, um, but I, I, I believe, I truly believe that we want to go down that road. That we want to be a body of, of faithful believers that leads people to authentic and real relationships with God. And we don't care how we do it, just that we get there. So tonight uh, we're um, co-hosting the teen uh, holiday party. And so I bought a sweater yesterday um, that's uh, a Clark Griswold sweater. And it has has a dead cat that has just uh, bitten into the um, tree lights and the cat is electrocuted. So the cat's right in the middle of the sweater. So uh, I asked Stephanie if I should wear that today and she said no. But actually, it's pretty appropriate, right? <laughs> After this sermon, yeah, that we feel like we, we bit into um, the electric cord. Uh, but actually, uh, I, I want to thank you for bringing this sermon, because I think it takes uh, guts to boldly proclaim the words of Jesus and to be willing to not get in the way of those and to be willing to offend us because I think we need to be offended if anything that we do is preventing us from encouraging each other and leading each other into an authentic relationship with Christ. So thank you, Danny. Thank you. So go to the next slide. Here's what Jesus said at the end. Away from me. I, I don't know you. And he said, you are, in, in, in the NIV, you are evildoers. Original is this. You are lawless. And here's what Jesus, I think, is saying to us. 
You're saying all this. You're singing all of this. You're coming each week. You're working in all of these ministries. And you're performing. I don't know you though. You didn't take the time to develop relationship with me before you jumped in and served. And I I don't, I don't know who you are. So I ask this question. By the way, let me let you off the hook a little bit. All the ministries and things that we do, I think, are wonderful. Okay? Kind of gut punched you today on purpose. But here's what I would say. Yes, and please don't take the donuts. They're so good. Please. Here's what I would say to you. I forgot what I was going to say to you. Oh, here's what I would say to you. Each one of us has to ask ourselves, why do I say and why do I do? What's the motivation? And am I going down the narrow road and working on myself for the sake of the kingdom of God? I can't answer that for you. Only you can answer that. Here's what I know. Jesus wants relationship. Where do you find relationship with Jesus? And I want to share with you two things. One, you always find it at the cross. Where did this life end up for Jesus? On the cross. He was willing to give everything. Why did He go to the cross? So people would cheer and go, Woo! Way to go, Jesus! I'm so thankful you went to... No, 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 no. He went to the cross to die to give everything that He had for us. You want to know Jesus? May I suggest you go to the foot of the cross and look up and spend time with Him there. The other place where we find Jesus is in the eyes and hearts of other believers. That's where Jesus is. And I listen to Him. Get to know Him. I learn how to care and love. Here, again, here's what this world needs. This world doesn't need this stuff. I'm glad we have it. But it's worthless in and of itself. The world needs... Here's what I need. I need love, forgiveness, Grace, hope, and a purpose. And everything we do here must take that into consideration and say, is this furthering us down the road, the narrow road, of instilling in people love and hope and forgiveness and grace and purpose? And if it doesn't, we'll be back up here at some point in the future apologizing again. Because we thought life was found in the program and in the ministry. And then the donuts. And I'm here to tell you, Jesus said it's not. It's found at the cross and in the lives of others. So I encourage you, go down the road. By the way, I mentioned this at the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, but the very end says, listen to these words. This is Jesus. Pay attention to these words and implement them in your life because the storm's coming. Build your foundation. 
Because the storm is coming. If you haven't, if you haven't gone down the narrow road, if you haven't worked on your emotions and your desires and your, and your focus in life and all that Jesus taught, if you haven't, when the storm comes, everything's collapsing around you. It's not if, but when. So here's what we do. Jesus, I want to have a relationship with you. You went to the cross. You gave everything that you had um, so that we could have life. And so when we come together, you see, here's the deal. Don't get caught up in the, in the idea of seeing, singing as a part of worship. Take it one step further. Sing to the Lord. I'm singing to the Lord. Why? He went to the cross for me. So if we meet in here and we have this, sing to the Lord. If we meet out in the parking lot because electricity's off, sing to the Lord. When the next sign-up sheet comes around, put your name on it and go serve to the Lord and be grateful and be thankful. Don't forget to love others on the way. And that is the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to stand and sing. Like we do every week. It's a time for you. I don't know where this hit you. I struggled with this all week because because it hits me, Clark. I've been there. I was the one leading the charge in a lot of this. I was doing it. I was out front saying this is the way to go. I had the attitude, you know what, if you don't like it, go find you another church. We'll be better off without you. God forgive me. This isn't just about you. It's about all of us. I forgot about Jesus. And I'm here today to tell you, hold me accountable to keep Jesus in the midst of my ministry here, or our ministry, okay? Please. God forgive us. If we can pray for you, if we can help you, you can come to the front right now as we stand and sing together.